This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and to help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode, join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. taking all these books? I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, your dedicated Star Trek books and comics show here on the Trek FM network. I'm just one of your hosts, Dan Gunther, and with me as he is every week is the last Jedi himself, Bruce Gibson. Bruce, how are you today? May the force be with you, Don. And also with you. Can you tell I was raised Catholic? <laughs> Every time I hear, may the force be with you, I think, and also with you. We I lift up our hearts. We lift them up to the Jedi. I don't know. <laughs> Something like that. Sorry for everybody who found that very offensive, but uh, there you are. <laughs> I don't know. Well, you know, we do release these episodes on Sundays and that's the Sabbath. So. Oh, uh-oh. I'm, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Well, I'm awesome. glad that, uh, you know, you brought religion into this episode um, because that's probably the only time it's going to be brought up. Possibly. I don't know. Maybe in the future it will come up a little. I feel like it might. I feel yeah. like there's some things that we might talk about with regards to that. But before we get to the future, which is an interesting feature today, we're going to be talking about the first Star Trek Prometheus novel, Fire with Fire. This, of course, was originally uh, published in Germany in German, and this is the English translation, and, and we'll have a lot of fun talking about that. But first, we do have a few news items we want to talk about. First of all is the announcement of the third original Star Trek Discovery novel, and that one is coming June 5th, 2018, and it's called Fear Itself by James Swallow. Yay, James Swallow. And this is yeah. the honest truth. I was going to say honest to truth, whatever, but since we're <laughs> doing religion. No, I I was just thinking the day before this was announced, I saw something or whatever, something about James Swallow. And I was like, we haven't had James write a Star Trek novel in a while. It's like, I'm hoping he gets to write one again someday. And then the next day, this information comes out. And I was like, this is perfect. I was just thinking we haven't had anything from James Swallow in a while. So I'm really thrilled to see his take on a Star Trek Discovery novel. Yeah, definitely. Bruce, you got to put thoughts like that out in the universe more often because that's pretty cool, you know? <laughs> I, I was just thinking today that I should win a million dollars 
I was thinking the same thing, except, you know, about me. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll see what happens tomorrow. Yeah, well, well, let's see. But in the meantime, let's uh, look at the official back cover blurb for Fear Itself. Lieutenant Saru is a Kelpian, a member of a prey species born on a world overrun by monstrous predators and a being who very intimately understands the nature of fear. Challenged on all sides, he is determined to surpass his origins and succeed as a Starfleet officer aboard the USS Shenzhou. But when Saru breaks protocol in order to prove himself to his crewmates, what begins as a vital rescue mission to save a vessel in distress soon escalates out of control. Forced into a command role he may not be ready for, Saru is caught between his duty and the conflicting agendas of two antagonistic alien races. To survive, he will need to seek a path of peace against all odds and risk compromising the very ideals he has sworn to uphold. Interesting. Yes. I'm really excited to see a Saru-centric novel. This will be really mm-hmm. good. Um, because the second novel is Giorgio and Lorca, and now we're getting right. Saru. So it's like we're getting these prequel character novels, which I'm mm-hmm. really excited because it really does give us a, a chance to really go deeper into the characters than the TV series can. And I, it's just going to add more depth when we watch the show. Now, of course, this will come out after the first season ends. I'm not sure, of course, when the second season starts, but this is that in-between period of time. So we'll have a new novel. So when so when season one ends, we'll all be like, oh, now we got to wait till season two. And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. We have a novel coming out. And hopefully it looks like the, the uh, Discovery line of comics will continue too. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're, we're going to have a lot of Discovery stuff to carry us through. And yeah, like you said, I'm really excited about this one. I like what they're doing with the prequels and giving us backstory. I'm curious if we'll ever see stories that are set kind of concurrently with what's happening on Discovery and that sort of thing. But in the meantime, I'm really liking this kind of filling in the backstory. And of course, you know, doing stories concurrent with with what's happening on Discovery would be a lot more difficult than with other series because it's a very tight story that, you know, takes place over a set period of time and continues one into the other. So it might be a little strange to kind of try and jam a story in there, but... Yeah. You know, I wonder. They're probably going to avoid that for a while. So, Dan, are you telling me you would like to read a Star Trek Discovery novel that takes place on the Discovery? (laughs) What a concept. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get me wrong. I love Star Trek Shenjo. (laughs) But, you know, it's Star Trek Discovery, I guess, you know, the, the kind of banner title. But, yeah, nothing's nothing. None of the novels, the three novels we're getting anyway or have gotten our set on discovery at all. No. Yeah, they're not, but maybe I'm sure eventually one day they will be, but maybe there'll be one set during the first season when we're all the way into season three and they feel comfortable enough to allow them to play during that period of time. <laughs> I, I don't know. An entire novel set during one of the time loops in the episode magic to make the sanest man go mad. Hey, yeah, you never know. Or, you know, they could come out with a novel with a bunch of short stories written by different authors. That would be cool. Oh, yeah. We could see, I would love to see a Kirsten Beyer Star Trek Discovery short story because, of course, she's on the writing staff. So that's a good point. 
That'd be pretty cool. That would be cool. Although, I guess she is uh, the co-writer on the Star Trek Discovery comics, which uh, brings us into our next news item. So we've got Star Trek Discovery is going to be an ongoing series now. So at first it was just the Klingon four-part miniseries, but it looks like they're going forward and making that an ongoing series. And we've also got an announcement of a 48-page annual issue coming in the spring. Uh, Of course, like a lot of the other Star Trek comics we've gotten over the past few years, there are different cover variants by different artists. And the writers of this one will be Kirsten Beyer, like I mentioned, and Mike Johnson. And this one sounds really interesting. We're getting kind of in that same vein of backstories of Star Trek Discovery uh, characters. We get some background on Lieutenant Stamets, and uh, it looks like uh, Dr. Culber as well. Yeah, once again, another prequel or backstory to these characters which is nice but this of course in that comic form uh so i'm really looking forward to that um and just continuing to get to know these characters better that's a really good thing because it's only going to enhance watching discovery yeah so the the description of this one is the uss discovery is a ship unlike any of the galaxies ever seen developing tech based on an unstable mycelial network and it is all in the hands of science officer Lieutenant Stamets, tasked with perfecting it to win the war against the Klingons. Who is Stamets, and how did he, with his old partner Strahl, come to discover the mycelial network? Plus, learn how Lieutenant Stamets met his significant other, medical officer Hugh Culber, and came to know fan-favorite cadet Sylvia Tilly. So, Fan-favorite, huh? Interesting. Certainly a favorite of mine. Uh, she's a favorite of mine too. I think it's interesting they called that out. I guess she's a fan favorite of a lot of people. And uh, so this actually sounds like it takes place on Discovery, but prior mm-hmm. to Burnham coming on board. It sounds like it, yeah. Uh, and then we maybe some flashbacks or something before that as well, because uh, we know that. Well, I, I guess, I don't know, maybe Stamets was already aboard Discovery when he met Culber. That that was kind of unclear. We got a little bit of talk of how they met in uh, the episode Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad, I believe, to bring that one back. But uh, yeah, I guess we don't know the exact circumstances, so it'll be cool to see that how that came to be. Absolutely. And then we've got, what, Boldly Go number 18. Yeah. Okay. So this was some big news that dropped as well recently. Boldly Go number 18 will be the finale of the Idic miniseries that's currently on. But we've also learned that it will be the final issue of the Boldly Go comic series as a whole. So. No. No. Yeah. No. I, I'm, I'm kind of wondering what this means. So this, this could mean a number of things. And we have heard from IDW that we will still be seeing the Kelvin timeline characters in some form or another. No clear indication on what form that's going to take, but we will still be seeing them going forward. But uh, yeah, what does this mean? Is it is it related to the fourth Star Trek film and plans or lack of plans for that going forward or what's going on here? Why are they? So yeah, the, the ongoing series went, what was it? 50 issues or, or longer 60. than that? 60 issues. Yeah. And this one's ending at issue 18, which is uh, really sad. Well, yeah, it is sad. In, in some ways I'm not surprised 
and maybe people at IDW are, but I know we just read an issue not that long ago. I don't know if it was the last one or the one before. I think it was the last one. And they were talking about going, leaving the Endeavor and going to the new Enterprise A. And there was talk of, you know, is Sulu going to come with them? And Mm -hmm. I remember, and I think I said on the show too, it's like, that's interesting that they're going in that direction because are we going to see comics on the Enterprise A? I almost, you know, wouldn't... To me, that would say one of two things that Paramount's saying, yeah, it's okay to go ahead and move forward and go on the A and start exploring space back on the Enterprise because we're not going to make any more movies. Or they're saying you can go ahead and start going in that direction, but then you have to stop because we need to have that chance to maybe tell in the next movie of them on their first mission on the Enterprise A. Mm -hmm. So I felt like we were either going to, I, I thought maybe we were coming to an end because they were leading up to what would feel like leading up to the next movie. Yeah. And I mean, that could very well be, I, I guess like it's all speculation at this point, but you know, either <laughs> they're stopping because a new movie's coming or they're stopping because a new movie's not coming or they're not stopping and they're going to be doing something else entirely or it's really wide open what I don't know. It, it sounded like point. from Sarah Gatos that there wasn't going to be, there was no plans for something with the Kelvin timeline crew in mm-hmm. terms of IDW. But then, yeah, Mike Johnson tweeted something that said, it's not the last that we're going to see this crew. Uh, yeah. So, but he, he didn't say within comics. So I oh, don't that's know. That's true. I didn't catch that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, you know, I don't know. I just feel like there's must be some kind of rumbling going on at Paramount that they're getting ready to, I don't think they're very close to doing a movie yet, but they may be very close to getting things going to begin doing a movie or maybe mm-hmm. something else. I don't know. Well, it's, it's going to be the Quentin Tarantino, Captain Picard movie, right? Exactly. <laughs> Isn't that what the internet's saying right now? <laughs> It is what they're saying right now, and uh, we'll we'll see what happens. I'm I'm very curious about that to see because you know they have been uh, meeting uh, mm-hmm. with Quentin Tarantino to talk about story ideas, apparently. Which is a sentence regarding Star Trek I never thought I'd hear. <laughs> no, the only thing I don't like about that is making it more adult and rated R, as I heard as one of the things, and. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess I'm okay with it for myself because I know I can handle a rated R movie, but I don't want it to be like, let's make this so violent or whatever and, and push the envelope too far. Yeah. Well, you know, they say don't believe everything you read on the internet. I, I'm pretty sure it was Abraham Lincoln who said that. So, yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> well, what do you say we jump over into the feature and talk about fire with fire? Let's do it. Well, today we're talking about, as I mentioned earlier, a very unique novel in the Star Trek universe. This is the first Star Trek novel to be originally published in a language other than English. Uh, First official Star Trek novel, I should say. And this, of course, is the English translation of it that was recently released in North America. Uh, And I have to I have to say, I kind of regret that. I almost wish that I read German to be able to have read this when it first came out. Uh, it's Fire with Fire by Bernard Pertpleis and Christian Humberg. And I hope I'm pronouncing those names correctly. Um, 
Star Trek Prometheus, the USS Prometheus, of course, you may remember from the Voyager episode Message in the in a Bottle. Uh, that was the ship that the doctor had himself transferred to uh, in the Alpha Quadrant to let Starfleet know that Voyager was still uh, alive and well in the Delta Quadrant. And uh, season four, I believe, that was yep. the episode with Andy Dick, you may remember. <laughs> yep. I do yeah. remember that. As a matter of fact, as I do with a lot of these novels, I'll watch the episode just because I know there's a tie-in. Very nice. And and did you get a chance to watch Message in a Bottle? I did, yes. Oh, very nice. But I didn't have time. That's a good idea. I should have done that. Yeah, it's fun to do those things. I mean, it's, it's this isn't really a sequel to that. I mean, it just is, takes place on the same ship, but just seeing the bridge... Mm-hmm. on that episode and just kind of keeping that in mind while reading the novel. So I had an idea of what the bridge looked like. Uh, yeah. In my mind, I changed a few things just to show that it had a refit at some point. Oh yeah. <laughs> because it takes place yeah. many years later. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I had, I, I found myself trying to picture the bridge from memory and that sort of thing. I kept seeing Romulans walking by in the background, but you know, I had to kind of edit those out in my head, but right. You just kind of edited the ears and the uniforms and it all worked out. Right. Perfect. There we go. Yeah. The captain's played by the guy who played the Romulan who was also in Star Trek two. And yeah, that guy. <laughs> that one. Yes. Well, yeah, uh, like we said, this is a unique novel. It was originally published in German and it's been published in English by Titan Books. And I, this is a translation. So this is not the original text. It's it's translated. And I was wondering when we started this out, I, I don't have a lot of um, practice or a lot of experience reading books that aren't originally in English with a, with the exception of a few classics. I've read some, you know, Jules Verne that was originally French and that sort of thing. But as far as just a regular uh, released modern novel, I've never really read any translated books before. Have, has, have you had that experience, Bruce? Or? I know that I have. I don't know what it was. Uh, and I've, I've done it more than once. And I know at times that you could read a book that is been translated from another language and sometimes it feels a little off as if mm-hmm. someone who is, let's just say, for example, somebody who is German and that's their native language and they do know English, but yet at the same time you can tell English isn't their native language because it comes off a little weird at times. It sounds like Mm -hmm. maybe somebody who's German tried to translate to English, but that wasn't the case in this. I would have never have known if, if I hadn't known that this was originally in German, I would have never read this and thought this seems a little odd. Like maybe it was translated from another language or something. I couldn't, it was, Mm -hmm. it was done very, very well. Yeah, I have to agree too. Um, I'm not exactly sure why, but I had I had kind of weird expectations going in. So, for example, just the fact that it's set aboard the USS Prometheus, you know, I think kind of in the back of my mind, I was thinking like, oh, yeah, they, they picked the the Federation's most powerful warship, the one that we see do that cool multi-vector assault mode and, you know, blow up Romulan ships and, oh, it's so cool. I was almost worried that this would feel like uh, kind of overblown fan fiction. You know, like when I was a kid, my absolute favorite ship was the Defiant. And actually, it still kind of is, but mostly because it's a really tough ship. It's really powerful and, you know, kicks some Dominion butt and that kind of thing. Uh, So, you know, I think I had that expectation going into this. 
but coming out, you know, spoiler alert, I really liked this book and I, I thought it was really excellent. And I definitely did it a disservice by coming in with that expectation. And it really, uh, really exceeded my expectations and, and turned out to be quite good. Did you have kind of similar expectations going in or, or what were your thoughts before you picked up the book? Like what kind of prejudices, I guess, well, m- most of the fiction that we read uh, in in new releases are all coming from Simon and Schuster and from the same editors and a lot of from the same authors that we're familiar with and some authors not. But this is coming from a different publisher from a different country, and I it like you said I didn't know how it was going to read. It, it could have been really bad or like you said more bad fan fiction type of reading and or just something that was just really weird where it's like gosh mm-hmm. it doesn't even seem like star trek it seems like they just put it in the star trek universe and did something different only because it was coming from another editor and publisher from another country and not necessarily from another country just that it's from another publisher it's the same thing like when we see the autobiographies written by david goodman you know that's coming from a different publisher and i first went into those thinking you know okay they are they going to be set in the same continuity as the novels that we read and they haven't been and i thought the same as this this novel it's like the prometheus and the universe may feel totally different it's going to have probably its Mm -hmm. own continuity so i was pleasantly surprised that even though it's a different publisher it fits within the trek lit continuity that we've been getting from pocketbooks and yeah (laughs) it it really actually it did a lot of nods to it and one of my favorite things and just i wanted to mention a favorite of mine is very at the very start of the book in the prologue happens in the 22nd century and in, in the, the book takes place in the 23rd century. Tw- to, I'm 24th. sorry, 24th century. I'm getting all confused. <laughs> the novel takes place in the 24th century in uh, 2385. This prologue takes place in the 23rd century with Kirk and he's, talking online i'm saying online they never say that in star trek but he's online talking (laughs) to another captain yeah they're skyping (laughs) and in the prologue he mentions about he's talking to this new captain he says oh yes well you know my first assignment wasn't all that first time as captain here on the enterprise escorted a volvillian troop here on the ship and i was like oh my gosh that's from the novel enterprise the first adventure and i that was from uh by vonda and mc uh, McIntyre and I thought oh my gosh that's the very first Star Trek novel I ever read was that that's really cool that novel <laughs> and I've never seen it referenced really anywhere like that before and to read that in here I was like all right this is pretty cool and there was other nods just like that all throughout from old books to new books so that was that was cool from my standpoint us being avid readers to see how that connected with the other novels and yeah, I mean, these guys, they know their track, both the uh, both the literary universe and the televised. Like there are some really deep cut continuity references in here, which I thought were really excellent. Uh, the captain, for example, of the Bordas is mentioned as, you know, being a hero of the Ning Tao. And I was like, Ning Tao. Oh, I know that ship name. That's the ship that core took command of in the deep space nine episode once more under the breach and he turned around and took on 10 jemhadar warships or 
uh, ships to slow them down so the fleet could get away kind of thing. And, and, uh, you know, if you look at the, that original episode, they talk about how the captain of the Ning Tao is young and inexperienced and, you know, they transfer most of the crew off and core takes command. Worf was supposed to take command, but core took command and, and piloted the ship. So, you know, we've got the young inexperienced captain, here who is you know from originally from the Ningtao and kind of resting on the laurels of that even though he wasn't aboard the ship when when all that happened so just even tying that into the actual canon from the tv show just very very um tightly was was really good these guys like i said they really know their star trek yeah and there's references to the typhon pack throughout there's mm-hmm. uh the aventine from the Adabaco. yep yeah, I mean, it was just it, it. You would think it was just published by Simon Schuster through the Pocket Books line or Gallery Books or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Now, of course, you know, I was mentioning this is a different publisher. I don't recall who the publisher was in Germany, but uh, Cross Cult. Okay, the, yeah. So they're they're they have the license to publish uh, German translations of the Pocket Books line, and so they approached uh, them to get a license to do original um uh original star trek novels in german and uh through ed schlesinger and and uh cbs consumer products and that sort of thing and it was specifically to tie it in with the pocket books line and then now that it's come back into english it's a different publisher who's publishing the translations so yeah it's kind that of was looks like one of those weird venn diagrams if you're trying to plot out who's in charge of what here. Yeah. Cause you would have thought it gone to Simon and Schuster, but instead it went to Titan books, which mm-hmm. is the same publisher who did the autobiography books of James Kirk right. and, and Jean-Luc Picard. So it, it's interesting how that Simon Schuster kind of supported and, and works with this publisher in Germany. But then when it comes back the other way, it goes to a different publisher. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm wondering what the what the story was there. Like, was there bidding for it and that kind of thing? So may have been. Like, what was it opened up and or maybe total just speculation? Maybe Simon and Schuster said they weren't interested or something, and then it went to a different public. I I really don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah I don't know. Could be, but uh, there was in the back of the book an acknowledgement from the authors to John Jackson Miller's prey series that he helped Mm -hmm. consult them or work with them to make sure that this there's some small tie-ins from this book to the prey trilogy also yeah which was i was really interested to read that too because i i don't remember if that came up when we talked about them on the show or and i didn't certainly didn't catch them but it might be interesting to go back and reread those and try and pick those out yeah. Well, when you do that, let me know, because I'm probably not going to reread them anytime <laughs> soon because we got a lot of reading to do. <laughs> oh, I have. I will. I don't even have time to read other books that I want to read that aren't Star Trek novels at this point. So rereading Star Trek novels. Uh, not not at the moment. Not rereading recent ones that we've read not that long ago. <laughs> right. Exactly. But we probably will someday. Oh, yeah. When we're, when we're old and gray. <laughs> well, you know, I'm now, uh, on, I'm now using audible, not when, for, not for the books that we're reviewing on here, but I see the prey books pop up on there as suggestions. I'm like, well, maybe, maybe I'll get those and listen to them in the car again someday. <laughs> Excellent. 
Well, as we mentioned, so th this book, uh, it's the first book of a trilogy of books and featuring, like we said, the USS Prometheus. And so, you know, beyond my initial thoughts that it might be very fan service, fan fiction-y, like, oh, we've got a really powerful ship. They actually create a really interesting ship here, an interesting crew, and we've got some cool crew members. And you've written something here in the outline that I never thought of. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of meta and cool. I did that? So you did. Wow. So I can't wait to hear book. what it is. <laughs> this is the first book of a three-parter. And the Prometheus itself is a three-parter because it splits into three different ships, that's basically. Right. So I was like, oh, was that on purpose? That's no, cool. it was not on purpose. <laughs> I wish I could take credit, but yeah, that's pretty cool. It's I put on here that the ship, I, I titled it three-parter because I'm thinking <laughs> the ship is a three-parter. But yes, the books are three parts. <laughs> I thought it was... Oh, that's brilliant. I love it. Oh, yes. Right. <laughs> yes. 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 I, I had it planned the whole time. Yes. No. Uh, so it's. Um, so I'm not as brilliant as you think I am. Oh, you you are brilliant, Bruce. You just didn't realize it. <laughs> if I were brilliant, I would. Well, we'll we'll leave you to figure that one out. <laughs> But yeah, so the Prometheus is, you know, a unique ship. And like we've seen, it has that multi-vector assault mode. It splits into three parts, uh, which is something that does come into play, of course, in the novel. Because if you've got an ability like that, you've got to have a chance to use it at some part, at some point. But uh, what did you kind of think about how they fleshed out this ship and maybe specifically the crew? I'm, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on some of these characters that we have in this story. Well... You know, sometimes when I read books, I also go online and read what other people say. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that I, I kind of agree with that. And one of them is that, you know, someone made the comment that the characters aren't fleshed out, hmm. that we're not given a lot of detail or backstory. And the, we're being introduced to a new crew on the ship and we're going across three novels. So you would think we would get a lot of backstory to these characters and we really don't. But I didn't find myself missing that. Um, so the captain is Richard Adams and, you know, he's, I, I guess, you know, now they think about it, he's just a, a really good captain. Like, I, I mean, personally, it's like, I really couldn't describe him except to say he is a Starfleet captain and a good one. Like mm -hmm. he, he's good at, you know getting along with his crew, giving good orders, figuring things out. But yeah, personally, there isn't a whole lot that we know about him or anything new or interesting about him that I can really explain. But he was enough mm -hmm. of a character as a captain to carry the story for what we needed to be told in this. Yeah, I mean, he he seems pretty straightforward. He uh, He's very fair-minded, I guess. He gives opportunities to his crew members and that sort of thing. He's really good at saying on screen and all those things that captains do. And uh, interestingly, he's not just on a first name basis with uh, Admiral Akaar, but he's also on a nickname basis with the Admiral. So it's, it's obviously a seasoned captain, I would say. I'd say he's been around a while by this, by what we see in the book. But yeah, nothing really 
concretely established about him. I guess we do get a little bit of backstory. Um, oh shoot. What was it? He, he had lost his, uh, wife was it? Or am I making that up completely now? Uh, I don't even remember. I don't remember. Oh, that. He, he had lost somebody. Wasn't it um, his niece? He, I mean, Oh, right. His, his niece. He lost his niece in the, the, the Starbase 91. The Starbase. Yeah. Which I think is supposed to be, look, well, I can't, I couldn't really tell from the uh, text in the book. It described the Starbase as almost looking like a mushroom. Mm-hmm. Well, they describe it as a watchtower class right. Starbase, which is the same as Vanguard yes. in the Star Trek Vanguard. Which I think novels. is on the cover too. Yeah, they use that same model for the cover, which is cool because when I saw the cover, I initially thought like both this one and the German language ones like, oh, they just cobbled it together using, uh, you know, CGI elements they had on hand from for other covers and stuff. But they actually do call it out in the book as being the same class of Starbase. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, I would. And and okay, and, and you mentioned about Admiral Akinar, uh giving having nicknames so richard adams richard is the short for richard is also dick and he refers to him as dick yeah and there's a part of me that wondered is that supposed to be kind of a call to andy dick who played (laughs) the emh on the ship (laughs) i was just i i I don't i I was i mean it popped into my head that this ship has a pair of dicks on it (laughs) oh no I am writing that down as a possible title to this episode. I have to admit it popped into my head and then I, I probably should have banished the shot, the thought immediately. But uh, yeah, no, that popped into my head. But uh, wow. Yeah, no, I, is anybody still uh, listening? <laughs> I mean, it is, it is a, a, it used to be a more common nickname for Richard than it is these days, but uh, okay. Yeah, this is a little side tangent. Okay, I'm sorry. I have to do this, everybody. But years ago, (laughs) actually about 20 years ago, I did some stand up. My name is and I'm going to tell you the little joke right now. My name is Richard Bruce Gibson, the second. I'm named after my dad, Richard Bruce Gibson. But I go by my middle name, not to be confused with my dad's name, who's Richard. So I'm Bruce. He's Richard. But he went by Dick. I don't know why. Why would you go by that name? <laughs> and so I would tell people that he's Big Dick and I'm Little Dick. That's pretty good. You want to know a really, really weird coincidence? What? So my middle name is Richard, <laughs> which is after my dad's first name, which is Richard. Wow. And uh, he does not tend to go by Dick except uh, his his side of the family, his sisters, and they call him Dick and I don't think he likes it. I, and it's not, not in a mean way or anything like that. Like they're not making fun of him or anything. They right. just like, that's what they referred to him as growing up. And he just puts up with it. But he don't, I don't think he likes the name. <laughs> my dad likes the name, but he doesn't go by it anymore. Cause after I did the stand up, my mom convinced him to go by Richard. <laughs> so he goes by Richard now, but when we're in family, everyone calls him Dick. So All right anyway, that's a little tangent there, everyone. So let's continue with the novel. <laughs> And a weird coincidence between the, the two hosts on this show. We both are named Richard. Yeah. We're both yeah, a pair right. of Richards. Yes, we are. <laughs> you can address your comments too. <laughs> anyway. 
so let's get into what this story is really about. So basically there are attacks that are, are happening. So we mentioned briefly Starbase 91, which, uh, like we said, is on the cover of the book. And as you can see, it's, it's exploding. And, uh, yeah, so there's a series of what are described as terrorist attacks. You know, the, um, Starbase 91 is destroyed and then a Klingon dilithium mining, uh, outpost is destroyed on one of their planets and a group takes responsibility for it or takes credit for it. Uh, and it, it's a group of, of aliens and what are the, what are the aliens called again? I'm They're sorry. They're the, the Ren, Renio, 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 This is the problem with print media. I know. <laughs> Especially when you don't have the author on the show because you can't quiz him or her on how to, uh, pronounce it. Maybe it's German. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't translated. Could be. Renato. Renalo, yeah. Renalo, I don't know. Reneo, I'm going to go with Reneo. So these red-skinned aliens named Reneo, and uh, it's a, a a fringe element, it seems, in their society who are taking credit for these terrorist attacks. And it very clearly becomes, this story becomes an allegory for terror, terrorism and radicalization in my mind. And there's many parallels with what's happening in the real world today and issues that we frequently hear about in the news. So, for example, members of this group seem to be uh, disaffected youth who kind of blame the lifestyles, the decadent lifestyles of other cultures. They call the Federation and the Klingons and other powers sphere defilers. And so in their ideology, in their philosophy, you are supposed to live in harmony with nature and stick to your own sphere, stick to your own world. Uh, and if you go to other worlds or other planets, you defile them. You And, you know, the Federation, of course, has the prime directive, but even though they have the prime directive, they, they're still seen as, you know, going and meddling in other people's business and uh, polluting different environments and you know, defiling other spheres and the Klingons, of course, even more so because they conquer and the Typhon Pact powers and, and all of them are all guilty of this. And, uh, you know, so lots of, lots of interesting kind of beliefs coming into play here. And I would say, um, I, I'm not, I don't want to get too much into spoilers yet, but should we maybe, Oh, I, pull the trigger here and say we're doing spoilers yeah, at this point. Yeah, definitely. I think we're well into this now. Okay. So yeah, there you go. Spoiler warning. If you haven't read this book and don't want to be spoiled, I'd suggest you pause the podcast, go grab the book, read it. Uh, but if you don't care, listen on. <laughs> so even at the end, and this was one that occurred to me later, we kind of, at the very end of the book, we learned that, um, you know, there's an outside influence being, you know, affecting people and making them uh, take up this terrorist cause and that kind of thing. And that even that made me think of, you know, people who hold power over other people and convince them to do things like become terrorists and that kind of thing. Uh, the, you know, leaders who convince young people to fight for them and to 
give up their lives for a cause, whereas they themselves maybe don't even necessarily believe in that cause, but they, you know, they're just using their influence and their power. Even that just kind of rattled around in my head as far as maybe there's a kind of allegory going on here. What do, what do you think of all of that? Am I well, reading too much into that? No, I, no, it's exactly how I read it too. But now when you're thinking that the radiation that we learned about earlier in the book is affecting these people to become these terrorists. Is that what you're thinking or possibly, or like that, that's where I thought the story was going. And, uh, but the, the end, it almost sounds like they think there's a person or people using that to affect people. Right. So maybe it's not a natural thing. Cause we did see it affect people in the prologue or in the first right. chapter or something early in the book, we saw that. Um, and I'm not sure, I guess for me, I don't want to think that this radiation from wherever this planet is or something is is causing these terrorists because I think just naturally when you have a society that looks at another society whose thoughts and beliefs and the way you do things are different, you're going to have those radical people naturally. That's just going to happen. Mm-hmm. We see it in our world today. And so... I don't want it to just play out as like, oh, well, they were only doing this because they were affected by this radiation or something. I do now if they're affected by another group of beings or other people that are affected by the radiation that kind of push them and influence them. We do that. See that we see even uh, people from other societies encourage people in another society to go against something else. So it would be mm-hmm. interesting when we get to the other two books to see how all that plays out, because at the end of this book, we do see um, these radicals escape our ship or, you know, Prometheus. They get away through a special uh, bending of space and time type. And that's mm-hmm. really a spoiler because that really is at the end. So that's very intriguing to me to know where this is going and how they got that ability. <laughs> did okay so this is totally a side note here when they talk about the ship um escaping i wonder if anyone else in their mind pictured you know part of the ship starting to spin and then it all spun and then flashed away and i was like they have a spore drive i did think that because it felt that way it you know it's interesting how i'm reading things now in these books and there's there's things just like that which, which makes me think of discovery um, mm-hmm. and we just, uh, talked about something like that the other day where it was what different ship it was, you know, the, oh, the, the comic with the, um, the enterprise jumping around. The, yeah. The jumping around. And uh, yeah. we're like, wait, did they get that idea from discovery? You know, it's just interesting <laughs> how that, that starts to work in now. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other thing that I noticed here was, uh, Starfleet officers, and some of their behavior. So, for example, the 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 shocking one to me, the one that made my jaw drop, like literally reading it, and I realized my mouth was hanging open. I'm like, oh wow, was where um, the uh, the Renau lieutenant directs the the away team to pick up these two friends of his who he feels has have maybe been radicalized to become terrorists. And uh, they they go to pick them up and the Starfleet officers say, well, maybe we should just let you Klingons handle this because if we're involved, we have to take them to our ship and follow all these rules. 
And if it's just you guys, you guys can do what needs to be done. Maybe torture the crap out of them. <laughs> Basically right. seems to be the, the, you know, what, what they're saying here and, and get the information you need. And we'll just quietly go off over here and, and look the other way. And I was just like, I realized my jaw was on the floor <laughs> reading this going, Oh my God, I can't. But it's funny because, you know, we would, that that's the reaction we have when we think of Starfleet officers behaving that way. But also when you're confronted with issues such as terrorism and, and things like that, people can do and say things to confront that, that you just, you would never think that they would be capable of saying and doing like, I've had friends, not close friends, but friends uh, who I've known in my life on Facebook advocate openly for torturing people. And I'm just like, what? Like, that's not who you are. Like, what are you talking about? And, you know, it just like that stuff really affected me. And, and it seems unrealistic. But then I started to apply it to my own life and people who I know and, you know, thought I respected doing and saying things advocating for that kind of behavior as well well we have two crews in this story we have the starfleet crew and then we have a crew of klingons and the captain of the klingons it was what uh comb i think his name was he he very much believed that the renau are behind all of these things that have been happening. We've had two uh, Federation bases destroyed and we had a, um, what is it? A mining? No, it was a, um, a gas mining planet or base or right, whatever from yeah. the Klingons that was destroyed by this terrorist group. And as you mentioned earlier, we, the, a Renau person exposes himself as being the terrorist, but Starfleet is questioning, well, just because that person's a Renau doesn't mean that the whole society, the whole species of Renaus are behind this. And, and the Renaus are actually, they condemn this terrorist things going on. Where the Klingon group is more of the opinion of, look, the Renau says it's them, we should go after them. And so the Klingons look at Captain Adams as someone who's just taking too much time and giving too much leeway to figure out, well, is it really... There were now, or is maybe the Romulans involved in some way, or, or what's going on? We need to give it more time. We need to figure it out. And the Klingons are more like, what more do you need? They're admitting to it. And then he's like, yeah, but it's just one group of many that's admitting to it. So what I'm getting at is that scene you're talking about where the Starfleet officers say to the Klingons, well, why don't you handle it? I kind of wonder if the officers were getting to a point like the Kling Klingons of like, you know what? how much are we going to just keep putzing around on this? You know, it's like, mm -hmm. we're probably not going to get anywhere by taking these two individuals to our ship, where if the Klingons, they might get the information and confirm it faster and more readily than we are, because we're just trying to be too PC about things. And so mm -hmm. I, I just wondered if they were kind of getting a little fed up themselves, these Starfleet officers in a sense of, not completing the mission and giving too much leeway and you know how much information do you need or how long are we how much effort are we going to put into this to find the information instead of just you know beat these people against the wall and just get that info of who's behind everything mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I mean, it's it's definitely something we're not used to seeing from Starfleet officers uh, generally. And we, we do see some other stuff in this novel, like uh, the reactions to Lieutenant... Uh, Jasset? Uh, yeah. The Renau officer? The Renau officer. And just, yeah, reactions to him, like from his fellow crew members, calling him, you know, racial epithets and whispering under their breath murderer as he goes by and that kind of thing. And it's like, it, it, it very much mirrors, um, you know, if, if there's a terrorist attack by someone of a certain ethnicity, uh, all of a sudden people in that group become suspect in, you know, in that country and that kind of thing. And it, it's something that, you know, you don't see a lot of in Star Trek. I mean, Star Trek six is kind of the big example that a lot of people would think of in Kirk's bigotry towards the Klingons, all Klingons for the death of his son kind of thing in a, in a few scenes there. Yeah. And it's not like all the crew is like this in the book. It's just no, certain, certainly certain not. people. Yeah. And it, it doesn't come across as like they're being really big jerks. It's just, there's some, you know, some, you know, trust issues. Like you're saying, it's like in, in some respects, like Star Trek six. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I mean, to me, that really mirrored a lot of what you see happening in today's world and that kind of thing where, you know, for example, people will just see somebody with different colored skin on their plane and, and get freaked out and you know, completely unwarranted kind of thing. But, you know, it's 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 an issue that I, I think Star Trek doesn't directly tackle in this way very often so to see it play out in that in this book was i think really interesting and and something that i think does need to be talked about and looked at so i did kind of appreciate that yeah i did too it wasn't as just you know every star fleet officer is just void of any bigotry of any kind or any mm -hmm. suspicious nature of another race and having to deal with that is something, you know, not everybody can do easily. Yeah, absolutely. And we also see it play out among the Klingons as well. There's the, uh, the one scene that I remember where they're talking about, uh, and I've always pronounced this as Jegpui. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it, but it's basically any race, like a, a conquered race in the Klingon empire, uh, and there's an officer on the, on the Klingon ship, the Bortus. Uh, oh, now when I say Bortus, I think of the character from the Orville. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's, there's a character from one of these races aboard that ship. And there's kind of an old guard Klingon. He says, Oh, why do we let them roam our ship and, and, you know, be on the ship and, as equals with us. This is ridiculous. That shouldn't be and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, they look at that issue from a variety of angles for sure. Well, and then we have the first officer, a female Klingon officer that uh, works with Captain Crom. And she uh, is a little more except less Klingon than the other Klingons and is more open-minded to, well, you know, we, we should, you know, we have certain protocols and there's certain ways of doing things, even to the point that Captain Adams was even considering like, wow, is there a wonder way, any way I can maybe get her to be a Starfleet officer on our ship? <laughs> mm -hmm. So Yeah, I, I really liked her character. She was a nice uh, balance to the Captain Crom who has some interesting qualities and is uh, very much the hot-headed 
Klingon type. That yeah, so I picture him expect. as being a little brat. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of generalizing entire groups of people. Yeah, he's a typical Klingon. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very, a bit immature. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, speaking of the Klingons, I, I liked including that aspect in the story. So like we talked about, the Prometheus and the Bortus are both sent to in the into this area of space to investigate investigate what's going on. And you may remember the Bordas as being Gowron's flagship in Redemption and in Star Trek the Next Generation. And since then uh the flagship is now the Negvar and this ship has been given given to this Captain Crom and is kind of not really a ship on the front lines. They're kind of relegated to duties that take them far away from the field of battle. And they're a ship with no glory, basically. And the captain, like we mentioned, is the hero of the Ningtao uh, from Deep Space Nine's Once More Under the Breach. I, I really like that continuity. And I like the story of the Bordas. And I like that we're getting more of it. Like it's the end of this novel it's kind of a to be continued and the Prometheus and the Bordas continue deeper into this region of space to continue to investigate. And I'm glad that that story isn't over with this book. I'm really interested to learn more about this Klingon ship and their crew alongside the Prometheus and their crew. Yeah, I do too. I like it that we have the two ships and it's not just the Prometheus and just seeing Starfleet and this, this Klingon ship and crew work together and, you know, we talked about the Prometheus officers earlier, and we didn't touch necessarily on all of them, but um, even though, uh, you know, we still could learn more about these characters as we go along, but uh, the uh, the Renau officer, Jazit, I really enjoyed that character, uh, part of the crew. And then uh, their first officer, who's the Cadian uh, Cation K- Cation or, or whatever. I never know how to pronounce Cation. that. The K- hmm. yeah, Did they ever <laughs> say that on the ma- animated series? Did they ever mention the race? Anyway, it's like... I feel like they must have, but I like can't Mares, think of it. Like you know, whatever. Yeah. But it's, and this is a male, but it's Roaz, I think, Commander Roaz. And, uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, I, I like that character. And also the security officer, the Andorian, uh, Lanissa. Yeah. She was a really interesting character. She was a favorite of mine, which I always mm -hmm. wanted to see more Andorians. And so it was great to have an Andorian officer, security officer, as a matter of fact, which is really good. Um, And then we have a Kirk. Yeah. You know, that was interesting. Now, Commander Commander, Jenna Kirk. Yes. Jenna Kirk. And she is a relative, a distant relative of James T. Kirk. It was admitted she's a relative of, you know, she's a descendant of james kirk's brother um but didn't we have we had another kirk recently like that too that was like a great great grandson or daughter to kirk and something recently and i i was gonna try to think about think back on that and try to figure out where that was but i can't remember yeah they they do mention in this book also another kirk who's in starfleet yes uh from something else i think it might have been a comic but it it was another one that was just a really deep cut continuity reference. Something, somebody brought it up on Facebook and I have to admit myself, I was not familiar with it. And I meant to write down exactly what 
the reference was, but it was very deep. I remember like, something of another Kirk, and I just can't remember what it was. But anyway. Yeah. She was on Deep Space Nine at one point, apparently, according to O'Brien. Uh, but I'm yeah. not sure what book or comic or, or, or what it was from. Yeah, I, I can't recall. Hey, if anybody listening <laughs> remembers, you know, like uh, tweet us, Facebook post, whatever, email us, let us know, because I, I would love to remember what where that was from. But uh, so, yeah, there was a bunch of those. And, and again, uh, just seeing the Klingons play off these characters is really great, too. It's almost it's almost like how Voyager could have been for a while with the Maquis and the Starfleet crews mm-hmm. getting along. It's like that with the Klingons. But of course they're not in a situation where it's going to force the Klingons to act like Starfleet officers. So this is, this is going to be a rocky road for a while. Yeah. And uh, we got a couple familiar faces too, among the Prometheus crew. We have the science officers, Lieutenant commander Mendon, who's a Benzite who you may remember from the TNG episode, uh, a matter, was it a matter of honor? think the one where Riker is an exchange officer aboard the Klingon ship. That's right. Yes. Yeah. And he's of course played by the same guy who plays another Benzite in the episode coming of age, but they're totally different people regardless of whether Wesley Crusher mixes them up or not. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, and, and also a couple other ones, one that I saw the name a couple times before it clicked for me who he was. Uh, and that's, um, uh, the deputy chief engineer, Lieutenant Tabor, who is a Bajoran on Voyager and, uh, Chell, who is also, uh, also on Voyager, a Bolian officer. Uh, I believe Maquis in Voyager. I could be wrong. I think you're right. I think he was Maquis. Wow. Very good. <laughs> and, uh, I'm, I'm looking at the appendix. So the book has a really oh, cool cheating. appendix with, I am totally cheating. I forgot there's an appendix uh, the, in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've got the list of the Prometheus personnel and the Bordas personnel. And uh, I don't remember her in this novel, but it says the deputy chief medical officer is Lieutenant Commander Maddie Calloway, who I believe is from the Next Generation episode, Eye of the Beholder, who is a medical officer in that episode. Oh, okay. Uh, that was one that took place mostly in Troy's mind, and she was falling in love with Worf, and Worf was having an affair with lieutenant calloway and deanna got jealous and shot her yeah. or shot no she shot Worf. right yeah maddie calloway was the one who was like you killed him i don't remember <laughs> maddie calloway in this book at all i don't either that's why i'm just yeah like i said i don't remember her in the book i'm wondering if maybe she shows up in the, one of the next two maybe books, or maybe it was just a real here. like just one sentence mention Mm-hmm. It just didn't stand out to us. And then, of course, you know, characters that we know, we have two ambassadors that we're very familiar with. <laughs> yeah, um, I did. I was reading online, of course, and I did get spoiled for me before I read this book that uh, Ambassador Spock makes an appearance. Yes. So he he has a rather significant role in kind of throughout the book, uh, actually a bigger role in the book than I thought he would have. So that was an interesting uh, addition to the book as well yeah and he also uh steps up to help on the bridge using his old starfleet (laughs) experience and ways to to work things so it was kind of cool seeing the spock that has been the ambassador and has not served in starfleet for so long sitting down and 
just starting to work his science officer magic on the bridge of a starship. So yeah, that was, that cool. was pretty cool. He needed a, a little blue glowing sensor hood thing to look into, yes. but you know, that would have been cool. <laughs> little sounds. And then <laughs> Alexander Rosenko. Mm-hmm. So we had uh wharf son, Alexander there as ambassador from Klingon. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. So we saw the two ambassadors together working together. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Who else? Oh, and we had Martok. Yep, that's right. Chancellor Martok for sure. And uh, uh, we briefly saw Captain Rowe in Deep Space Nine yes. and O'Brien. And uh, uh, Esri Dax, we saw her briefly. Oh, that's right too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. O'Brien, like you said, Quark. Yeah, so there's yeah. a few things. It got to a point that I started to worry that would be a little too much. That's where the fan mm. fiction thing kind of comes in, where you're starting to work <laughs> in like all these characters and things. But it... It was just on that edge to maybe feel like it could be too much, a little overload, but it wasn't. It it worked fine. Mm. It just, you know, there were brief appearances from people, but it made sense that they were there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree for the most part. I thought maybe the Spock thing was a bit much. You know, that guy really gets around. Right. <laughs> he's, he's doing a lot of things in that last little while before he disappears mysteriously into a black hole but uh you know it, it, it i don't think it was too much i think it started to get there a little bit for me i was a little worried but right. yeah like you say it, it didn't it didn't feel forced so that was good yeah yeah so it, again it was a pleasant surprise to see all that all those tie-ins and easter eggs and callbacks to other novels and series and movies and such throughout there so that was that was pretty cool so I guess uh, if you were to give this a rating and kind of your final thoughts on Star Trek Prometheus, Fire with Fire, uh, what would you have to say? Well, I would say I was pleasantly surprised and that uh, the translation was well, like we said, and I like the tie-ins. The story was interesting. I'm definitely interested to get to books two and three, which, by the way, book two comes out in May of 2018 and book three comes out in November of that same year. So we'll get that all within 12 months of each other. And uh, I would say that I give this book... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll give this book four Richards out of five. Nice. <laughs> I'm reading between the lines there. Very good. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to really agree with you. I think coming into this, I was unfairly worried about it. Maybe not worried, but unfairly judging it before I'd had a chance to read it, thinking like it would be a little bit too fan fiction-y. Uh, it would be too far outside of, you know, what I tend to like in Star Trek novels. But it for me, it hit all of the right notes. I really liked the inclusion of some familiar faces to get this off the ground. But also, I really liked the original characters. And I'm looking forward to getting more development with them and learning more about them as we go forward. So I'm, I'm glad that this first one isn't just a standalone book. We get, you know, the promise of more to come. It's just one third of a larger story that we're going to get over the next couple novels. And after having finished this, I find myself really looking forward to them, which is really great. 
So yeah, I would have to give this one, I think, four out of five counterfeit Romulan scorpion attack fighters. Oh, yes, that's good. We didn't touch on that, so I'm glad you just brought that <laughs> up. Yes, I, I like that part of the story, too. Mm-hmm. So, well, it sounds like we uh, both agree on this one at the same way. Four out of five, something or another's. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> four out of five Romulan attack fighters and four out of five Richards. Well, I'm so glad that we both enjoyed this book. And uh, again, it's 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 something to look forward to in 2018 because it doesn't sound like we're going to get a whole lot from Simon and Schuster uh, for 2018. At least as of this recording, nothing's been announced about what that schedule would look like. So we know we're getting some Discovery novels next year. We know we have the Voyager novel coming out. That keeps getting delayed, but I think this time it's really going to happen. And then now we know that we have the continuation of the Prometheus. Yeah, that's very true. It's uh, it's disheartening to look at the big empty spaces on the schedule next year. But that was one thing with this book coming out and seeing the advertisement in the back for, you know, book two. Uh, which is called The Root of All Rage, which is coming in May, and then book three, In the Heart of Chaos, coming in November. So, you know, just a little bit more to kind of fill out that schedule and give us some interesting new things to talk about on literary tracks. Well, it's been fun talking about Star Trek Prometheus novels coming next year, but that's not the only thing we've been discussing on the network. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Earl Grey. I actually hadn't watched the show, I'm embarrassed to say, Um, but I sat down and I started watching uh, and recording episodes and I immediately had an idea for a script uh, because I found Data to be the most interesting character. To the journey! So you could have, like, you know, carbonated gog. Carbonated gog? (laughs) I'm trying to understand how this works. So the gawk are presumably a little squishy or juicy on the inside. So you're saying that in order to give them the appearance of life, they replicate it with carbonation inside the gawk. Yes, to make them, like, pop and fizz. Kind of like an Alka-Seltzer, you know? Like pop, pop, fizz, fizz. Warp 5. And I go into the job interview... And I'm just parroting back to him things he said in his interviews, but he didn't know that I was just doing that. I would say, the thing about Star Trek is that you could write it. It's a mystery one week, it's a Western the next week. And I'm literally, literally word for word things he said in interviews. So that's how I always feel. And I joke with him now that that's how I got the job. But the 602 Club. When we're talking about the idea of context in history, I think this is the biggest issue that I see in this film. Um, and, and with the, the Force Awakens too, and you put them together because they're going to make a trilogy, is look, writing 101, if you don't know the past and the future of your characters, you absolutely 100% cannot write their present. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So be sure to check out all of those shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll you'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're not an Apple user, be sure. Well, if you're not an Apple user, you don't need to listen to this part. But if you're an Apple user, then you need to be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they're published. And please 
leave us a star rating and written review because then we're going to read it here on the show and give you a big round of applause. And if you're not an Apple user, okay, so you Apple users don't have to listen to this part, but the ones who are not Apple users, we got you covered as well because you can find our shows anywhere that you get your favorite podcast on Google Play Music, on Stitcher, and TuneIn, and Spreaker, and SoundCloud, and Windows Phone, and in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. Apple users and non-Apple users alike can listen to this part. If you'd like to help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Just visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all of the details. There are lots of perks you can get, including early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce and distribute these shows each month, and we really appreciate any support you can give us, and we hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all of the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. So you know what? We would love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and even on past shows, or even thoughts of what you want to hear on future shows. And there's many ways you can do that, and the best place to join in the larger conversation is in the Babel Conference. It's our listeners group on Facebook. You just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. And if you send us an email, you can do that through the form on the website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Literary Treks, and that will come right to us. And you can also find the network on Twitter at trekfm and on facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm we also have a goodreads group where we have bookshelves with all of our previously covered books as well as the currently reading section so you know what's coming up for future shows plus there are also great conversations happening about all the books and comics that make up the star trek literary universe just search for literary treks on goodreads and click join group and one of us will let you right in We'd like to thank Ken Tripp, Greg Rosier, Brandon Chemutala, Justin Ozer, and Jeffrey Harlan for their support of the Trek FM network and for being associate producers for Literary Treks as well. Now, Bruce, when you're not trying to get out of paying your subscription to be able to show the latest news feed from the Federation in your bar on Deep Space Nine, where can people find you? You can find me trying to find more money to support that subscription. Or you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And you can find me here on the network on Live from the Edge. The comes out a live show on the Edge feed here on Trek FM the Monday night after the premiere of a Discovery episode. And you can find me talking Star Wars and especially Star Wars The Last Jedi on the Star Wars Report podcast, which you can find on any podcast app that you use. Or go to StarWarsReport.com. And of course, I'm in the Babel Conference, like Dan is. And Dan, when you're not painting the purifying flame on your wall, where can people find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. You can find me on YouTube.com slash Productions, where I'm talking about a lot of things, but mainly Star Trek. And of course, you can find me on Facebook, in the Babel Conference as well. You know, it occurs to me, I wonder if 
Quark hadn't paid for CBS All Access. Is that why he couldn't get the Federation news feed? <laughs> That's probably it. He's just too cheap. <laughs> that must be it. Well, anyway, thanks everyone for listening. And until next time. Live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.